If you would, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, keeping the main thing the main thing. And that has to do with soul winning, getting people the gospel of Jesus Christ. The very best day in anyone's life is the day they put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven, please let someone show you that before you leave. God loves you, and uh, everyone who goes to hell goes to hell unsaved. That means they never came to a time and place when they gave their sin to God, and he gave them his son. But everyone who goes to hell goes to hell unsaved, but no one goes to hell unloved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And one of the responsibilities of you and I after we're saved is to tell people how to get to heaven from here. How to have your sins forgiven. Everybody needs that. Every child that's saying tonight needs a mom and dad who knows for sure they're going to heaven. Every, uh, every son uh, needs a mom and dad. Every brother needs a brother and sister that knows they're going to heaven. That's very important. That's the most important thing in life. And with that in mind, I want to speak to you this evening, just a few minutes, about winning people to Christ. These are just some thoughtful ideas, none of which are, 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 uh, are the only way to do it, but they are ways that maybe can be a help to you. I find that in Christmas season, I get the chance to talk to people a little bit more about Christ. Uh, my wife and I are planning to invite several unsaved people to our home and for the purpose of just exposing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We went to someone's home the other day and spent an hour and a half there together talking to them because I want to make sure they know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And all of us ought to be constantly thinking, who is it that God's going to put in my path that I can talk to about the Lord? And if someone came up to you and said, can you show me how I can know for sure when life's over I'd go to heaven? Could you show them that? I was uh, at the uh, hospital yesterday morning with Brother Bob Riddle, who's here this evening, and his lovely daughter, Liz. And his wife and, and her mom collapsed yesterday, took her, the, took her to the doctor, or took her to the emergency room. And uh, by the time I got there, they said, we have just a light pulse. We're not sure. We don't think she's going to make it. We went back there and, um, and watched her transition into eternity together and uh, just a sweet, they were sweet testimonies of the Lord to the people that were there, uh, medical people. And by the way, when you pass away, you want to make sure your family knows that you have, you've been saved. You've accepted Jesus. You, you know you're going to heaven. And I, I love to hear the story, and we're going to talk about it on, on Saturday morning at her memorial service here in the AOB building. But George Beverly Shea lived across the street with his family from Laura when she was a young girl in Chicago. And his daughter got a burden for Laura and got a burden for her and started inviting her to come to the church. And as a teenager, she heard the gospel and asked Jesus Christ to save her. And I'm just so glad that someone's got a burden for somebody. Who do you have a burden for? Who are you thinking about? Who are you praying for? The Bible says we should pray that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you have somebody you're asking the Lord uh, to bring to Christ and use you to do that? When you go around your neighborhood, do you pray for the neighbors around? Are you praying for the people at work? Are you asking God for opportunities to talk to somebody? I'm glad that, uh, especially yesterday morning when I watched Miss Laura go into eternity, I was so glad that someone had a burden for her. 
and it was a teenage friend. And uh, the daughter, George Beverly Shea, a sweet story of God's grace. But to all of us need to be looking for opportunities. Here's just a couple thoughts, but let's go to the Bible first. First, first Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll look at verse number 4. Let me just start at verse number 1, can we please? And I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom. You don't have to have a great oratory skill or a lot of intelligence to do this. Declaring unto you the testimony of God, because you're speaking about what God said, giving people the gospel. It's not going to be with your fancy-pantsy talk. It's not going to be with your intelligence. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here telling you I know something, but I do know that Jesus died, buried, and rose again, and that's how we can be saved. Verse number three, read it with me. And I was with you in weakness and in fear. If you ever witness to people very often, you're going to find yourself in that way too. You're going to feel weak. You're going to feel afraid and maybe even really nervous. I have, uh, it's embarrassing, but sometimes I've sat on an airplane with somebody and and boy, I know the Lord wants me to witness to them or give them a gospel track or get engaged in a conversation. And it just seems like it's kind of hard. I was sitting with a lady recently and she was a Muslim lady and I began to engage. I usually ask the same question. Are you going home or going away? And that begins to engage in conversation. And they say, well, I'm going home or I'm going away or I'm from here. I said, that's wonderful. And usually I know someone from that state or something that might know something from where they're from, and so I'll talk to them about that, and then I try to get the gospel then. But boy, I was fearful. I was afraid, and uh, she wasn't terribly interested, but at the same time, I got to give her a track and ask her to read it. She put it in her purse, and I'm glad that the gospel can go places I can't go, and she didn't listen to me, but maybe she'll read that track later on. But looking for opportunities, said, well, I didn't come uh, in my own abilities, but I came in weakness. I came in a little bit of fear. By the way, fear is a major factor in witnessing to others. You get nervous. Let's look at the next verse, verse number four. Read it with me, would you please? And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's, but in the demonstration. Yeah, one thing we have to have in order to win other people to Christ is the Spirit of God. Uh, after that you receive power you shall, from the Holy Spirit, then uh, you'll, you'll be witnesses unto me. It's, it's an essential part. It's not an option. We need the Holy Spirit to help. But verse number five, and let's read that. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. Very good. Father, please give me wisdom. As we just share a few thoughts tonight, we're going to need to hasten. And I'm so thankful for everyone that's here. We have some people here that... Um, They've witnessed to people in the past, but it's been a long time since they sat down with a sinner and explained the gospel. Help us, Lord, to not have to say that in 2021, when between now and the first of the year, would each of us who have been saved take time to sit down with someone and go over the gospel of Jesus? If there's someone here without Christ, don't let them leave here on their way to hell without hope. Help them to be saved and help them to understand the gospel even through this presentation. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, years ago, I, I was trained and someone, I had a little Gideon New Testament. I went to a soul winning class and they taught me these basic things, how to share the gospel with people. And that was a great day. I remember winning my first soul to Christ. His name was Eric. And after Eric accepted Jesus Christ, I didn't know exactly all that happened to Eric. He left me very happy. He said, thank you, John, that is great. 
I don't know all that happened to Eric, and I've never seen him again since, to my knowledge, or uh, shortly after I laid him to Christ, I didn't see him again because we moved to a different place. I do know what happened inside of me that day. I thought to myself, you know, I think I'll do that again. <laughs> but to see someone light up and they go from darkness from, to light, from the power of Satan to the power of forgiveness in Jesus, to have the witness to someone not too long ago, and, and they called me and said, I got saved this morning at 4.30 in the morning. And they were so happy. He said, you would not believe the load that was lifted off me when I got beside my bed and asked God to forgive my sin and save me. He goes, I've just been carrying a burden my whole life. I didn't understand what it was. And, boy, I remember that happening to me <laughs> when I knelt beside my bed about 11.30 at night on a Sunday night. And I didn't understand everything was going on, but I do know the, the burden of sin was forgiven. And I'm grateful for that because someone showed me from the Bible how it could be saved. Well, here's a couple thoughts. Number one, we must learn how to walk with God. If you spend time with the Lord, you'll want to talk about Him. Because to know Him is to love Him. And we talk about things we love. That's why we sometimes struggle to talk about Jesus. Uh, we're not, we don't struggle to talk about our kids, about our sports teams, because we love them. Well, we love the Lord Jesus Christ, but that love is birthed out of a relationship. Time spent with Him. Number one, we need to learn how to walk with God. Number two, we must learn how to ask spiritual questions, and uh, learn how to get engaged in a conversation. I think soul winning, to some extent, is talking to someone long enough until you get into the gospel message. It's discussing with them, talking about whatever, till you get to the place of talking about eternal destiny and, soul, and salvation. And I think that's what it is, but you need to learn how to get into a conversation. You can't just keep talking about the Cubs. You can't just keep talking about the weather. It's good to talk about the Cubs, good to talk about the weather, or talk about the Bears, or talk about uh, different things. But somewhere along the line, we've got to get into a spiritual conversation. And the question that I have, um, I have asked initially, I'm going to give it to you initially here, is if you were to die today, do you know 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Or do you have some doubt about that? That's the question I've asked. Now, I will tell you this, I put it on the paper that way, but I will say this, I have learned in recent years, something that's helped me, is oftentimes I will tell them what happened to me. And, and after I finish talking about whatever we want to talk about, I'll say, you know, several years ago, someone asked me a hard question. They asked me, John, do you know for sure when life is over that you'd go to heaven, or do you have some doubt about that? And I had a lot of doubt about that. I didn't know. I had been involved in a car accident where my friend passed away. And it was bothering me because I knew as I laid in that hospital bed that if I would have died, I would not have gone to heaven. I had not dealt with my sin and with a holy God. And so whenever they asked me that, I was, I was ready to listen. And uh, it became the very best day of my life because then I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And now I know that I have eternal life. So I like to give that, that opportunity just to tell your story. You know, most everybody doesn't mind hearing a story. And when you tell them, someone asked me this, and by the way, that happened to me as a young man. But when someone asked me that, and I didn't know the answer, you're also, to the person you're talking to, they don't know the answer too many times. It's a mystery to the world, but it's not a mystery to me now. 
And so I can ask them that, and then uh, if uh, I, I oftentimes tell my testimony. Let me give you a couple thoughts about that. If you look underneath that, if they say no, I'm not sure about that, you can lead in your testimony. Like I said, you can refer to your testimony first. I think I would prefer, if I were to rewrite this, I think I would probably put that up front. But when you talk about your, personal, your testimony, number one, keep it personal. It's about, it's about what God did to you. Number two, keep it Christ-centered. Number seven, emphasize that someone took the word of God or the Bible and told you how to be saved. Your testimony can have three parts. Before I trusted Christ, how I trusted Christ, and since I trusted Christ, what he means to me now. Those are just a couple thoughts I just give to you. If you're taking notes, uh, I'll give them to you one more time. Keep it personal. Keep it Christ-centered. I always want to try to witness to someone. I want to talk. It's not about our church. It's not about my baptism. It's not about, it's not about my heritage. It's not necessarily how I was raised. It's about the Christ. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Christ did for me. You say, well, pastor, you can't even see Christ. I know, but who makes Christ real to the unsaved person? I didn't see Christ when I accepted him. I've not seen him since, but he's real to me. You know why he's real to me? Because the Holy Spirit makes him real. And the word of God brings about faith in the heart of someone. So I like to talk to, to folks who so I give my testimony, try to keep it personal, keep it about the Lord, and reference it was the Bible that gave me the answer to that hard question. Okay? So uh, if I were witnessing someone, I would oftentimes just say, you know, you know, several years ago, someone asked me the story. I told you that story. They asked me a question. Do you know for sure? I did not know. They took the time to show me about Christ they showed me from the Bible how I could know for sure when life is over. And I'm telling you what, that was the best day of my life. And Jesus has meant, meant more to me, and peace has come because of that. And so I tell them that, th those things. Sometimes I've had people say, you know, I need peace. I had one man tell me, he goes, I am so tired of the noise. The noise. I remember him slamming his trunk. I asked him this, and I asked him a couple times, I said, I said, Moses, would you be willing to let me show you? He goes, you know what? He slammed his trunk down. He says, you know, I am so sick of all the noise out there. Everybody has something. I said, would you just let me show you from the Bible? He said, I will. I said, it'll take me about 20 minutes. Could you let me share with you? He said, yes, I'm ready. And he was ready. He got saved. And boy, it's just a beautiful thing. Then his two daughters got saved. And his wife got saved. And a lot of good things happened because of that wonderful story, but because it opened up with a testimony. So give the testimony. Then if someone, if someone says, no, I'm not sure, then you can just explain them that. But sometimes they'll say, you'll say, well, how about you? If you die today, do you know for sure you go to heaven? And they'll say, yeah, I know. And that's, that's not wrong. It's good, but then you can, then I oftentimes will say, well, that's wonderful. By the way, it is wonderful. Someone knows. But sometimes they'll say yes, but they, they don't know. So I'll say, they'll say, yes, I know. I say, well, that is great. How do you know? How do you know for sure when life is over, you'll go to heaven? And let them explain. If it's on their heart, if it's true, they'll tell you the truth. If they're not sure or they tell you a story, I've had people tell me, well, you know, I mean, I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, the truth of the matter is we don't keep the Ten Commandments. No one has ever done it except for Jesus. Sometimes I'll say, well, I was baptized as an infant, or I'm a member of this church, or I'm a pretty good person. Right or wrong answers? No, those are not right. 
So if someone gives you yes, and then you ask them why, sometimes I'll say to this, I'll say, listen, uh, if, if they give me, and I said, well, let me ask you this. If we, if we stood before God, and uh, you and I, we stood before God, and, and this is not going to happen because it will already be decided in our lifetime. But if God were to say, on what basis should I let you in heaven? On what basis or should I admit you to live with me forever? What would you say? And then I let them tell me what they would say. I think it's important. Now, if they say the answer that is not congruent with the word of God, then what do you do? I've been with soul winners sometimes where someone will say, well, you know what? I, I, I was baptized as a child. That's why I'm going to heaven. And I've had soul winners say, nope, you're not. You're wrong. You're wrong about that. Nope, that doesn't do it. Well, instantly, now you've put someone on one side of the fence and someone else on another side of the fence. Okay? Or they might say, well, you know, I, I, uh, I keep the Ten Commandments. Well, I already know, usually people who say that can't even name the Ten Commandments. I have committed them to memory because I, I want to be able to ask them, well, what are the ones you've kept? Do you remember? And often it's like, oh, I don't even know. I don't know all of them. So how can you know how you go to heaven if you can keep them if you don't know them? But nonetheless... I use the whatever, whatever it is they would respond with. If I know their answer is not correct, I think there's three words I give them here. Number one, compliment, compare, and correct. Compliment, compare, and correct. This is an example of that. Let's say I was witnessing to someone, and someone said, you know, well, I, 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 tried to, uh, I try to be the best person I can be. I try to be a good person. I've always tried to help people. That's a good thing to do, but it will not give you eternal life. So it's a wrong answer, according to the Bible. So you can quickly say, nope, that's not enough. That's not right. Or you can follow a little bit of this. Number one, compliment. By the way, so if someone said to me, you know what, I've tried to live a good life. Number one, I will say, that is wonderful. It's good that you're trying to live a good life. And it's simple. That's true. Number two, I could say compare. I could say, you know what, I want to live a good life myself. It's something I'm striving to do because I, I know that living a good life, it makes me a better husband and a better son, a better dad, a better friend, a better citizen. So compliment, compare, and, but I, then I can't leave there. I must correct. And then I can say, but, you know, it was a wonderful day when someone took the Bible and showed me how I could really have eternal life. And that the good things I'm trying to do are not enough. And would you mind if I showed that to you? And then I can take them to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, or Titus chapter 3, verse number 5. Or can I show you what someone shared with me, how I can understand that better? Those are some, those are some things. If someone says, well, you know, I got baptized. How would I handle that? Well, you know what? That's wonderful. It's good to get baptized. Compliment. Compare. I got baptized myself. It was a memorable day in my life when I got baptized publicly in front of everybody, identifying with Christ. But it was also a good day when I understood that baptism is a work we do for God and we can't earn our way to heaven. If we could earn our way to heaven on our own ability by getting baptized or being a good person or memorizing a creed, then why would Jesus have to die on the cross? And uh, so the Bible tells us this, so I have to correct that. So help me with the three words again. Number one, compliment. Very good. Those are areas in which you can help, folks. And, and I think it keeps you from being abrasive. It keeps you. 
uh, from being abrasive in that area. And it gives you an opportunity. The Bible says soft answer turns the way wrath. And I want to make sure that you do exercise wisdom of words whenever you're witnessing to people. Well, after, after we've come to that, I ask for the opportunity to show them from the Bible how we can know 100% sure that we have eternal life. Listen, I love the Bible for this. If you're here tonight, you're not sure. If you died, you'd go to heaven. Let someone take the Bible and show you how you can have everlasting life. There's no other book in the world that can show you this. That's the number one reason the Bible to give you an explanation how you can have your sins forgiven, how you can know for sure when life's over, you go to heaven. So with that in mind, I asked them, could I show you from the Bible? Now, once again, I love gospel tracts. I believe in gospel tracts. I try to keep them. I try not to leave home without them. American Express and Gospel Tracks. If you can do it with both of those, that'd be great. But uh, I try to take Gospel Tracks with me wherever I go. But if I get a chance to witness to someone, if at all possible, I will. If I'm, if I'm talking to someone, I've got just a track there, but my, over in my car that's 20 feet away, I'll say, could you let me go get my Bible? I would much rather show them from the Scriptures. There's something about the Bible itself that really does resonate with people. And I think if I can, I'll go get my Bible, and I'll show them from the Scriptures how they can have eternal life. I love the track, but oftentimes an unsaved person, the devil is fighting. They're trying to confuse them, and, they're, and you're showing them this, and they're saying, well, I wonder what church wrote that. You know, when they look at the Bible, they don't ask what church wrote it. There's something inside of them that says, this is God's Word. This is God's Word. And if you know where to turn in it, automatically you you know something that they don't know yet. And it, it automatically puts you in a place of knowledge because of what God has shared with you. And that's why we're having our meeting tonight talking about how to share the gospel. Look at number four, if you would, please, on your booklet, on your, on your paper. Learn to share the four basic Bible principles for salvation. And I'm just going to do this real quick for you. If you are uh, here this evening, here's my suggestion. I'm going to go through this quickly, but I'd like to encourage you to go home, get a New Testament, and, uh, and mark your New Testament. Put these in there so you'll know how to share it with someone. Uh, personally, I have done this in front of a mirror sometimes. I've sat in front of a mirror and tried to win myself to the Lord <laughs> and try to, to make sense out of this. Sometimes I've stumbled through it. I've stumbled through it with people, and I thought, my goodness, they're not going to understand this, and I've, and, I've, and I've struggled with that. But I will tell you this, that the more you do it, and the more you're, you, uh, you understand your plan, and I love what Mrs. Dotson says, get your plan and work your plan. Uh, get a plan. The plan keeps you on track. Now, I know that as time goes on, sometimes just going through the same thing is a, some people have questions, and I don't think there's any way, not with enticing words. I don't, wanna, I don't have any interest in manipulating anybody. I just like giving them the truth. I'm not trying to get them saved, if you will. I'm trying to get them the gospel. The only way someone gets saved is the Spirit of God has to convict them. But I think it's important that you use the Bible, you have a plan, you know where to turn, and what you're trying to explain. The four things, usually I would say this, there are three things you need to know, and there's one thing you need to do. There's three things you need to know, there's one thing you need to do. And it's so simple, God made it easy. 
and then I and then we go through the plan of salvation. I'm going to give you the, the things to fill out now, and then I'm going to just kind of walk through a little bit if we can, please. Verse number, letter A, all are sinners, and we cannot go to heaven on our own. All are sinners. Letter B, look at it with me if you would, please. Because of our sin, we owe the price of what? Death. Death is the payment for our sin. Letter C, Jesus paid the price of our sin, and God offers us the gift of eternal life. And then letter D, we must now believe and receive Jesus Christ as God's substitute for our sin. So we must now believe and receive the, uh, the receive Jesus Christ as a substitute for our sin. If I were to witness to someone, and here's what I normally would do, is, is I ask them, I say, would you mind if I took a few moments and went through the Bible and showed you what someone showed me and how I can have eternal life? And if they give me a chance to do that, I'm glad. I usually quickly tell them this, listen, I'm not a salesman. I'm just one beggar, tell another beggar where I found some food. It was the best day when someone explains to me, and I thank you for giving me a chance to share it with you. I normally will say this, if any time in the process I'm sharing this with you, if you want me to stop, I will honor your wish. I'm not here trying to shove it down your throat. I'm merely just giving you the news. I'm telling you. If you have a question, feel free to ask it. Now, when you, when you have someone, you're witnessing someone, sometimes the questions are divinely encouraged. Sometimes they're demonically inspired. Okay? Sometimes someone will look at you and they'll say, you know, or they'll ask you a dumb question about the Antichrist, or they'll ask you something about, do you think the Pope's the Antichrist, or do you? They'll ask those things. And those are questions, quite frankly, I would, I would prefer to put off. And those who I would just say, you know, those are, that's an interesting question. And I, I would be glad to try to address it. I don't think I know the answer to all that. But would you mind if I continued to explain the core basics of what, of what the Bible says, how we can have eternal life? That's how I would handle that. But if someone asks a question, I don't want them to ever feel like no question. I, I, when I taught school, I always wanted people to, I loved it when people asked questions. Sunday morning, we were talking about baptism, and one of the new converts in there said, can I have a, I have a question? Because two weeks ago, I got saved. So do I need to get baptized? I said, yes. He goes, good, I want to do it next week. So she's going to do it Sunday, Lord willing. But what I, I like the question because it gave some explanation, and uh, it, it allows me to explain that. So if I, if I normally would say to them, listen, I'm going to explain this to you if you, if any point. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been witnessing someone, and they're rushing to get away from me. Okay. I don't, I don't, as a personal opinion, I want to get them, I want to get the truth to them, but I am not going to, I realize that probably right now, if I'm just holding them down, making sure that, that they hear me out and, and their, their roast is burning or they're missing their appointment or they're just don't really want to listen to me, I'm probably not going to help them too much. This is my opinion. If you do it differently, then that's fine. I normally would say, listen, looks like to me, you've got to go. How about this? Could I give you this track? Would you commit that you would read it? Here's my number. I'll write on the back of it. I know you got to go. Maybe later on we can, we can set up a time to visit about it. You know, oftentimes people appreciate just respect. And rather than try to hold them and just continue to belabor something they don't want to hear, but this has been my opinion. I'm not as successful as many people are, but this is the way I have, I've done that. So after I, after I ask them that, usually what happens, it disarms them very rarely. 
One time a lady told me, and I witnessed her, and she said, you know, you did tell me I could stop you because I want to stop right now. You know, I do not believe that. You're saying that I deserve to go to hell. And I said, well, this is what the Bible said. I know. I know what, I know what you just showed me. I saw it, but I do not want to continue. And I said, that's fine. And I, and, I, and I honored that request. But that's one of hundreds of times that people normally would just say, you know, they keep going. I said, do you have any questions? Is there anything I can keep going on? And I want to share with them the four things. Number one, if you have your Bibles there, you can go to Romans chapter number three. Romans chapter 3, this is the first point of the gospel, and that is that all of us have sinned, and all of us come short of the glory of God. Chapter 3, let's read verse number 10. Can we read it together? Are you ready? As it is written, there is... So how many people are right all the time? No one. None of us are righteous all the time. All of us uh, have come short of the glory of God. If you, if you have someone that somewhat is uh, maybe... Um, Self-righteous. Sometimes they'll just say like this. They'll say, well, you know, yeah, I mean, everybody sinned, okay? That oftentimes is like a pad. Well, we know we all do wrong. Yeah, yeah I mean, everybody does wrong. I like to sometimes continue down that passage of uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, 11, 12, because it will begin telling us that we sin with our mouth, we sin with our mind, we sin with our hands. It, it, it talks about... We, it, it said the ways of peace, they have no, no, we don't have peace. Sometimes going through that can be helpful if you have someone. And then sometimes I'll take them, if they feel like, if I feel like that person doesn't understand their sinful condition, then I will go on through the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God has to be number one all the time. Has he always been number one in our life? Have we ever missed a service? Have we ever, have we ever had a meal without a prayer? Have we ever gone a day without reading his word? Oh, sure. We haven't always made him number one. How about thou shalt, thou shalt not make in him any graven image or likeness? Idols. One of the most popular shows years ago was American Idol. People want worship. They want to be given the attention. He said, don't set someone up above me. Don't make a, him a, 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 an idol of, of whether it be of wood or of, he made wood. Of gold, he made gold. He doesn't want you to worship something that he made. He wants you to worship him in spirit and truth. The third one, don't take God's name in vain. Don't ever get mad and say, God, and damn his name. Or take the name of his son's name, Jesus Christ. Or get mad and say, oh my, and say his name. He said, don't, don't take my name in vain. And boy, by the, by oftentimes, even those first three, people are like, oh, hang on a second. I, I'm, I'm, I've done that. I've done that. Because we all do that. No one gets mad and says, oh, Buddha, and damn his name. No one gets mad and says, oh, Muhammad. No. They damn the God of the Bible. They damn the son of the God of the Bible. I've done that. You've done that. Why do we do that? Because in our hearts, we have an enmity against the God of the Bible. No other gods. The other gods, we don't say their name because they're not really, they're not in the equation. The God of the Bible is. So I'll sometimes we'll go through that, and that kind of shows them no other gods before me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't disobey your parents. You ever disobeyed your parents? Oh, sure. We all have done that. Then don't steal. Don't lie. All those things show us that we can't save ourselves. We're not good enough. And so we can explain that in that way. Verse number 23, you see it there? Let's look at it real quickly. The Bible tells us, for all have and come short of the God. So all of us have sinned, and we all come short of what it takes 
to have eternal life on our own. We can't do it. That's point number one. Point number two is found in chapter six. And we can also look at chapter five and verse number 12. And, and let's read, if, you, if you're underlining your Bible, you would underline this verse too, because where does sin come from? I oftentimes will tell them, we sin by nature and we sin by choice, okay? And that causes us to have issues with a God who's never sinned. He's holy, we're not, okay? Look at verse number 12 of chapter 5, are you ready? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men. All of us have sinned. The Bible says when Adam sinned, he passed on a sinful nature. Many of you have heard me share the gospel, and I usually always try to talk a little bit about the virgin birth. Why was it a big deal? We all have one thing in common. We have a human father. And because we have a human father, we have a sinful nature. That was why the virgin birth. Why did Mary have to be a virgin? Why couldn't Joseph be Jesus' father? If Joseph would have been Jesus' father, then he would have been a sinner. If he was a sinner, would he be saving us? No, it took someone without sin to save us. And so often as people just learning that, it really makes sense to them about that. And then chapter 6, verse number 23, the second point is that because we've sinned, there is a price. We owe the price of sin. Verse number 23, let's read it together. For the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we're talking now that there is a price for sin, and it is, it is death. Well, death is twofold. Death is physical and it's spiritual. Uh, yesterday morning, I spoke to you about a precious lady watching her leave and transition from this life into the presence of the Lord. Absent from that body, present with the Lord. That's going to happen to me. It's going to happen to you one day. You're either going to go in eternity with your sin and go to hell or with God's son and go to heaven. Well, she had accepted Jesus, so she is in, in the presence of the Lord at this time. But, but the challenge the family is facing today is separation. Yesterday morning, they could talk to her. Today, they can't talk to her. Yesterday, she could talk to them. Today, she can't talk. They can't hear her because she doesn't speak. She's been separated from them. She was separated from her body yesterday morning and separated from her loved ones. Well, that's a physical separation. And that's something that no one's going to avoid. In, in uh, Hebrews, the Bible says in chapter 9, he says it's appointed to every man one time to die, and after that, the judgment. Okay? But the second death is in Revelation. Take your Bibles there, and if you would please turn there. And I think I'm going to need to stop with this in just a moment, but let's look at Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, I believe it's important that you show people this passage of Scripture. If uh, sometimes I'll witness to someone and they will not want my Bible, they want to use their Bible. And uh, I, I don't really, I don't mind that. I don't prefer it, but I don't mind doing that. And, I, and you can almost, uh, some of the Bibles that they give you to show them uh, are really even more emphatic on some of these areas. But um, this is one of them. Revelation chapter 20, here's what it says, verse 14. And uh, let's look at it together. Read it with me, would you please? And death and hell... And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I'll just, I'll say this to you, and I don't want to, I'm not trying to muddy the waters or take you away from what you've been trained. But occasionally, if I have more time with someone, I will read Romans 3.23 and say, what do you think that means? And let them explain it to me. For all have and come short of the glory of God. I'll ask them, 
Can you, what would you, you know, if a third grader asked you what that means, what would you, what would you tell them? You can look at it for a moment. You can read it together. And I think sometimes that, that understanding, and remember this verse of Scripture, now, so then faith cometh by, okay, does that mean audibly? If it meant audibly, that means a deaf person couldn't be saved. <laughs> we have deaf people in this room right now who are learning the, the gospel by watching Jason sign there. It's not talking about hearing audibly. It's talking about understanding. One of the things you're trying to do when you witness to people, you're trying to help them understand. And sometimes if you say, well, what do you think this verse means? I think you can oftentimes, they will, they will come to the conclusion the Bible tells us. And sometimes that's, a, that's an occasion. But verse number 20, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says, in death and hell, people who had died and people who were in hell will be cast into the lake of fire. This is second death. This is talking about coming judgment. This has not happened yet. This is prophetic. What's going to happen? So one time, everyone who's died without Christ is going to stand before God to be judged, and they'll be put into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the second time that people die. And the Bible says in verse number 15, and whosoever was not found written the book of life, that is the book of the new birth. If you go down to, to Franciscan Hammond here and their babies are born, they're put into a book. They're, they're registered as a birth in that hospital. Well, everybody that uh, goes to hell doesn't have their name in the book of life. Well, how does your name get in the book of life? You have to be born twice. There has to be two births. There has to be a physical birth and a spiritual birth to avoid a spiritual death, a second death. And that's where we can go into that. And then, of course, we're talking about the wage of sin. So if I had to pay for my own sin, and I think using your own, um, you know, if, your own, if your whole time you're saying, you, you, you're, you're a sinner, you're, you're on your way to hell, that kind of thing. But I think you have to understand that, you know, you're not there trying to, you're trying to help them see we're in the same boat. And you can say, you know, if I had to understand that I was a sinner, I couldn't save myself. Number two, the price of my sin is the lake of fire. If I had to pay for my own sin, I'd have to spend eternity away from God forever in this place God calls a second death. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Let's go back to that Romans chapter 6, can we please? Also, you can look at Revelation 21.8, which speaks about that very same thing, calls the lake of fire of the second death. Let's go back to, Rev to Romans chapter, chapter 6. And we read that first part, the wages of sin is death. Now we can see the second part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God says, if you have to pay for your sin, we'll have to go to the lake of fire. But God has an option. The option is a gift. Most people believe that if you're going to go to heaven, you've got to earn it. If you ask people, what do you have to do to go to heaven? They'll say, well, you've got to do this, this, and this. But the Bible is very clear. It's a gift. And this is where you explain the gift of God. And, of course, that third part there, Jesus paid the price of our sin. Jesus died so you and I could live. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not through the church, not through baptism, not through your life, my life, but through the person of Jesus Christ. And then you begin to explain the gospel to them, that when Jesus died, he was buried and rose again, did all that was needed to be done so you and I could have forgiveness of sin. What was the penalty of sin? Death. What did Jesus do? He died. He was separated from his father, so you and I wouldn't have to be separated. He died so we could live. He paid for our sins so we wouldn't have to. That's the beauty of the gospel, is, is that. Now, 
We've explained those three things. Number one, we're sinners. We deserve hell. Um, and that Jesus did took our hell for us. He took our payment for sin. He was separated from God. Now, what do we need to do? And it's very simple, but let's go to Romans 10. If we can, please, Romans chapter 10. And then it tells us in verse number 9, we must now believe and receive Jesus Christ as a substitute for our sin. Verse number 9, that if thou, could I put your name in there? I'm going to put Doug's name in there. Doug's in the front here. But if thou, but if Doug, shall confess with the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in Doug's heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, then Doug shall be saved. When you see the word saved, it looks like I'm losing the, losing the, the sound a little bit. But you know what saved means. Most of the people you're talking about won't know what it means. I think they're saved if they had a car accident and they, and they didn't die. Okay? So you need to explain, what does it mean to be saved? It means saved from my sin that would exile me from God forever and give an eternal life. It's a beautiful term. It's like I'm drowning in an ocean of sin and an ocean liner comes and pulls me out of that ocean. Uh, I'm saved from that. Explain that. The Bible says, to be saved, someone must believe in their heart and confess with their mouth. Look at verse number 10. Read it out loud with me, would you please? Are you ready? For with the, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. With the heart, a person believes unto righteousness. Now, that righteousness refers to Jesus. With the heart, because he's our righteousness. If you try to go to heaven in your own righteousness, you can't do it. But with the heart, man believes that the only way I can be righteous is through the person of Jesus Christ. With the heart, I believe that. And with the mouth, I ask God to save me. I ask him to save me. And then verse number 13, of course, you can read through the rest of those verses. I enjoy reading each of those, 11, 12, 13. But uh, verse 13, for sake of time, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be. Now we need to call upon the Lord. How does someone get saved? They believe in their heart. They ask the Lord to save them. Let's look at one more verse, and that is John chapter 1, verse number 12. John 1, 12. You don't have to go to this passage of Scripture, but I, I like to, to, to take it because I think it's so simple. John 1, 12, the Bible says this, but as many as received, received him. That's how we get to heaven. We accept a gift. To them, we accept the gift. We become power. We have power to become Who? We become God's child, even to them that, so by believing and receiving, we can have eternal life. Look at the next verse, which were born. This is how we're born to God's family, not of blood, not because your parents, not the will of flesh, not something you can do, not by the will of man, not something I can do for you, but of God. At that point, we share with them how they can be saved. Number one, we have to understand we're sinners. I want to review so I'll ask them, say, number one, do you, do you understand that you're a sinner, your sins against God? Can't save yourself. If you had to pay for your own sin, you'd have to be separated from God forever. Jesus loves you, and on the cross, he did all that was needed to be done. He died so you and I could live. And he purchased a gift, and the gift needs to be free, and it has to be accepted. Just because Jesus died doesn't mean everyone's going to heaven. There needs to be a time and a place when we accept the gift of eternal life. If Jesus is willing to accept you, would you be willing to accept him? Oftentimes I'll just ask them, let me ask you this, do you believe, do you believe, do you believe each of those things? Because what does the Bible say? If a man believeth where? In his heart. And he confesses with his, 
Yes, I believe that. Yes, I believe that. And I say, if Jesus will accept you and your sin, would you be willing to accept him and his gift? And they say, yes. I'll say, do you have any questions about anything I've I told you? And usually, um, sometimes they will, but most of them they say, no, I just I want to get saved. And uh, then we can go through the gospel and, and pray with them. Just a couple of ideas on that. When you pray with someone, um, many times they, they uh, can pray on their own. You can say, would you like to pray on your own? The thing is, you need to pray, you need to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And, uh, or would you want me to help you in a prayer? And I give them that chance. Some, some soul winners are really emphatic that they, want, they don't want anyone to pray after them. And that's fine. But I, 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 don't, I don't know that that's a problem. But m many times I'll say, if you want to pray, you can pray. And then sometimes I, I'll, I'll say, if you want me to help you, I can help you. But this is not between you and me. It's between you and God. And the words are not near as important as the attitude of your heart is. Or, do you understand what I explained? And they'll say yes, and then we'll go through that. And then, of course, we want to take them after they get saved, rejoice with them. I usually go right to talk about the eternal security in John chapter 10, verse number 27, 28, John 6, 37, which are things we can talk about later. And I normally talk about baptism after I've explained them how they can have eternal life. I want to say, I usually say this. I think it's best for me. I want to tell you about baptism. And uh, I think it's something you need to know. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. Everything to have eternal life took place just a few moments ago. But it is something God wants you to do. Now, I've had other folks who say, well, you know, you don't talk about baptism until you get to church. And that's up to you. But I, don't, I think it's the most important. I think they're most receptive if they understand it at that moment. Because they just got forgiven. They just had saved, and I think that what here's salvation is what God did for you, but baptism is something you can do for God. And if I can explain that to them, I like to explain it to them right there. I don't make a commitment; they will do it. Some folks do that, and that's fine. I want them to. I want them to understand what ha what to do, and so we explain that, and we can also explain later. I like the mechanism of having the opportunity. To me, I never like to be tricked. Do you like to be tricked? Do you like to be manipulated? No, I don't. And I don't think salvation needs to be manipulated. You might get a convert that way, but God doesn't get them. Uh, I think you're going to find out that if you just give people the truth, help them understand what the truth, and know that not everybody is going to be as quick to do it. But at the same time, let them know what to do. I think God will help us with that.